السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد وسترنا التفسير في سورة الكوثر and last week we finished the first uh, verse and I think where we ended we were speaking about um, the differences between or, or the definition rather or some of the details concerning the pond of the Prophet وسلم, the hawd of the Prophet وسلم, and the differences between that and the river in Jannah called Al-Kawthar right after which the surah is named and we said that um, I think we gave I think we started this last week yeah we covered some of like the the details and we mentioned that the scholars um, they say or some of them call both the river and the pond al-kawthar and we said that the reasoning for that is because the water from the river of jannah is the is the water that comes into the pond and the pond is before the gates of jannah so the river is obviously inside jannah the pond is something which is before uh, the gates of jannah in the land of gathering and we said that because the water comes from the river of Jannah, many of the attributes of the water of the pond is similar to the attributes that we find in the Sunnah for the river itself. So for example, that its water is whiter than milk, more sweeter than honey, more fragrant than musk. Whosoever drinks from it will never experience thirst again. And the Prophet ﷺ described its um, water running and that as it runs, it leaves behind the scent of musk and how the vessels on either side of the pond, on the banks of the pond, are like the number or number like the stars of the sky, meaning that there will be so many of them. And um, as the people will come on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, the Prophet ﷺ will take a vessel, he will draw water from the pond, and he will serve his Ummah And that is from the greatest of uh, you know, fada'il, greatest of virtues, greatest of honors, for us to be served by our Prophet even though he has more right that we serve him. And, you know, we would give anything and sacrifice anything to have been given that opportunity just on one occasion to be able to serve the Prophet Because the companions, radiallahu anhum who were fortunate enough to serve the Prophet they would take from his water of wudu' and they would benefit from him وسلم, and they would rush to bring for him water to make wudu or carry his sandals or whatever else it was that he, he needed and that's what we would do had we been given that opportunity but in order to show number one the status of this ummah and number two the virtue of the believers who will pass through the test of yawm al-qiyamah the Prophet وسلم, will be the one to honor each and every single person of his ummah that come to that pond and he will serve them. But before we go on to that, um, a question that was raised last week, that our brother raised, I think it was here in the class, if I'm not mistaken, was, does the pond of the Prophet ﷺ include the past nations? People from the past nations, from the past prophets, were they also included in this pond of the Prophet ﷺ? And... Um, sorry, before we come on to that, my, before we come on to that, Al-Imam Al-Qurtubi, uh, no, actually on that same point, Al-Imam Al-Qurtubi, rahimahullah ta'ala, said that it's something which is specific to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, that the hawd and the pond, or the pond and the river of Al-Kawthar, this is something which is specific to the Prophet sallallahu and therefore the people who will benefit from it will be the Ummah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. However, there is a hadith in a Tirmidhi from Samura radiallahu an that the Prophet said Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam inna li kulli nabiyin hawda every single Prophet will have a pond and the people will go to the, those respective ponds meaning from those respective nations the believers from amongst them and they will go to them and they will drink from them. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said and we will compete to see which pond will have the most people descend upon it? And I hope that I will have the pond that is busiest. This hadith, as we said, is in a tirmidhi And it is a weak hadith. And it has a number of chains of narration and it comes through a number of different wordings. 
all amounting to the same thing. Each and every single one of those chains of narration has weakness in it. But some of the scholars said because there are so many different chains of narration, when we bring them together, the hadith becomes hasan. And from the scholars who gave it that grading was Sheikh al-Albani, rahimahullah ta'ala. He said that it is an acceptable hadith. So therefore, the scholars who took this hadith to be authentic and acceptable, they said that what is specific to the Prophet is the river in Jannah, Al-Kawthar. That is specific. But every single Prophet will have a pond on Yawm Al-Qiyamah that their nations, respective believers from their nations will come to and they will drink from it. And those scholars who said that this hadith is not authentic, they said that both the pond and the river, they are from the khasais, from the special attributes of the Prophet wasallam. And I think we went, we went through like some of these um, hadith last week concerning how the water comes through from, from Al-Kawthar and so on. Um, and we mentioned also, I think, if I can remember correctly, that scholars such as Ibn Hajar ta'ala, and others said that the hadith that show the hawd existing or that it will be something that will be on Yawm Al-Qiyamah is mutawatir. Fifty different companions, he said, narrate this hadith from the Prophet concerning the hawd, and so it is from the mutawatir hadith. The strongest opinion amongst the scholars uh, as to where it will be located on Yawm Al-Qiyamah is that it will be before the bridge. So the bridge that Allah Azza wa will place on the fire of hell that will be thinner than a strand of hair and sharper than the tip of a sword will have claws that whosoever goes on it and is destined to be from the people of the fire, the claws will take them and they will drag them into the pit of the fire. That bridge, the scholars said that it is before the bridge. Another said it is after the bridge. But the stronger opinion is that it is before the bridge. There is a hadith in Sahih Muslim on the authority of Abu Hurairah an, and it's I think a hadith that is fairly well known that the Prophet وسلم, went into a graveyard one evening and he said assalamu alaikum he made the dua for the graveyard and then he said I wish to see my brothers and the companion said oh messenger of Allah are we not your brothers he said no you are my companions but my brothers are those who have yet to come so they said oh messenger of Allah how will we know Oh, how will you know who came from this ummah that you did not meet? How will you recognize those people from this ummah that you did not meet in your lifetime, O Messenger of Allah? The Prophet ﷺ said that if one of you was to go to a stable of horses and they were all of one color, black, but then you found within them a horse that has white streaks on its legs and on its arms, would you not recognize it? They said, yes, O Messenger of Allah. He said, this is how I will recognize my ummah. They will have the streak of brightness of whiteness from the wudu that they will make. And I will meet them at my pond. And as I am there waiting, some of those people who will come close to me in the pond, they will be driven away by the angels, just as a lost camel is driven away. And I will call out and say, bring them to me. Meaning that they are from my ummah calling out to the angels, bring them to me. And they will say, you do not know what they did after you died. You will not know, you do not know, you do not know what they did to your religion after you died. And I will say, then remove them from me, distance them from me. So this hadith of the Prophet ﷺ not only establishes the existence of the pond, it establishes also that it is the place where the Prophet ﷺ will meet his ummah on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Where he will be, and there are uh, different weddings to this extent as well, where some of the companions ask, our Messenger of Allah, where will we meet you on Yawm Al-Qiyamah? And he said, I will wait for you at the pond. And then he also mentioned from the benefits of this hadith is that not every single Muslim goes and reaches the pond. Not every single Muslim or believer is allowed to reach the pond or every Muslim is allowed to reach the pond. Those people, and this is from the punishments of bid'ah and innovation in the religion, those people who innovate in this religion from the punishments that they will suffer on Yawm Al-Qiyamah is that they will not be able to come near the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam or his pond alayhi salatu wassalam. Yeah, yeah, so anyone that who sins is forgiven, then it's like they don't have the sin. They're speaking about those people who obviously have innovations and they don't repent from them. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then in verse number two, after mentioning 
We have given to you the Prophet وسلم, and Kawthar. And as we said on Kawthar, according to some scholars, they restricted it to the river or the pond. And according to other scholars, it is an abundance of good, meaning all of the blessings that Allah gave to his Prophet Amongst them and foremost from them would be the river of Al-Kawthar. Then Allah says in verse number two, فَصَلِّ لِرَبِّكَ وَنْحَرَ Then pray to your Lord and sacrifice. Ibn Kathir rahimahullah said, just as we have given you this abundance of good in this life and in the next, meaning in this life and on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, then spend your time worshipping your Lord by performing salah and by giving sacrifice, sacrificing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he said it is similar, therefore, to the verse in which Allah says in Surah Al-An'am, قُلْ إِنَّ صَلَاتِي وَنُسُكِي وَمَحْيَايَ وَمَمَاتِي لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ Say that indeed my salah, my sacrifice, my life and my death are only for Allah alone, Lord of all that exists. Sorry, yeah. No, we said there's two. One before Jannah and one inside of Jannah. What's inside of Jannah is the river. What's before Jannah is the pond. So in both of these verses, Allah Azza wa Jal, Surah An'am, verse 162, and now Surah Al-Kawthur, verse number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifies two acts of worship. The first of them is salah, and the second of them is to sacrifice. Right? Salah and sacrifice. Why those two? The scholar said because salah is, as we know, the most important pillar of Islam after the shahada. And it most exemplifies a person's obedience and submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when it comes to the physical acts of worship that we can perform. It is in some ways one of the most demanding day in and day out to physically make time and pray five times a day. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifies salah. And then he specifies udhiya or sacrifice because sacrifice is in terms of financial obligations one of the most difficult also to do to spend that money and when and we will come on to this but the fact that Allah Azza wa mentions in this verse one har and sacrifice and nahar in the Arabic language refers to a specific type of sacrifice anyone know which one no sacrificing a type of animal I mean Nahar is used when it comes to sacrificing camel. Right? And so therefore it's as if Allah isn't just speaking about any type of sacrifice because you know you can slaughter a chicken, right? If you want to. Um, not like not an eid or something, but it's generally to eat you can slaughter a chicken. However, the Prophet or Allah is speaking to the Prophet to go for the best, right? And the most expensive, because the camel was the most expensive type of livestock that the Arabs used to have. And it's something which would cost a lot of money. And that's why you often find in the hadith when the Prophet ﷺ is comparing something to the worldly, you know, like benefits and wealth and so on, he often uses camels, right? If Allah was to guide by you just a single person, it would be better for you than red camels, right? And red camels were an extremely wealthy, rare type of camel that the Arabs used to like and love to have and covet and so on. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala picks these two acts of worship and we'll come into that in more detail. The fa fasalli, the fa in the first word is for tartib, meaning that it's something that you should do immediately. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to the Prophet ﷺ, you have been given all of these great blessings and Allah has bestowed upon you all of these favors, use them as a means of coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning that the more that Allah grants us favors and blessings, the more it should motivate and encourages us, encourage us to worship Allah even more. And not only that, but to use what Allah has given us from those blessings in a way that draws us and brings us closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for example, if someone has wealth, then they use that ability and that wealth that Allah has favored them with, number one, to come closer to Allah, but number two, to come closer to Allah using that wealth that Allah has favored them with. So you have amongst the companions, Uthman, Abdurrahman ibn Awf, Abu Bakr and Umar to some extent, others from amongst the companions who were wealthy 
and they spent their wealth in a way that is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or you have companions who didn't have their ability to give wealth, but they had the ability to make a lot of ibadah, worship. So they spent their time in worship. Others seeking knowledge, others narrating hadith, others teaching Quran, and so on and so forth. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa you have been given the greatest of these blessings, so use them in a way that is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So spend your time worshipping Allah Azza wa alone by praying to Him alone. And spend your time sacrificing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sacrifice to Allah Azza wa because sacrifice is in some ways different from zakah, in the sense that both of them obviously require financial acts of worship. They both require money. But the difference is the act of sacrifice is something that you also benefit from. When you sacrifice, you eat from it, your family eats from it. And when you sacrifice, you don't necessarily see the gain or the, uh, the benefit that others will take from it. If you give sadaqah to someone who's poor and needy and orphan, you see that they're benefiting from it. But not necessarily the case with sacrifice. Because even if you're distributing the meat, just as we do today, it's not necessarily something which you see firsthand, as opposed to when you go to a poor person and you give them that money. And so when Allah Azzawajal speaks about sacrifice in the Quran, for example in Surah Al-Hajj, He says, Allah Azzawajal says that Allah does not benefit necessarily from your meat and your blood, but rather He takes the piety of the action that you perform in terms of sacrifice. Another difference between sacrifice is that sadaqah, giving charity, wasn't something that the Quraysh and the Arabs used to make shirk in. When they would give money to the poor and the needy, it's not something which you have shirk in. Even though it is an act of worship, but the Arabs wouldn't do that for other than the sake of Allah, meaning that they wouldn't give it to the idols to give to someone else. You give it to the poor, they didn't have shirk in that act of worship. But when it came to sacrifice, they did. Because even though they would eat and benefit from the meat, they would sacrifice to other than Allah. They would slaughter upon other than the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah Azza wa chose these two acts of worship. And amongst the scholars of tafsir, you will find as we will come now, uh, different opinions as to exactly which salah it's referring to and exactly what type of sacrifice, or even if the word nahar is referring to sacrifice. But the stronger and the, the general opinion and the one that is most well known amongst the scholars of tafsir is the one that you find in the English translation of the Quran. That salah refers to prayer as we understand it, salah, and it is generic. It refers to any type of salah and every type of salah. And nahar refers to sacrifice. And even though the wording seems to speak to or imply that it's a certain type of sacrifice, the sacrifice of camels, it is a general type of sacrifice. And this was the opinion of Ibn Kathir and Imam al-Tabari rahimahumullah, amongst others from amongst the scholars of Islam. The uh, scholars of tafsir, they said that the sacrifice is the sacrifice that Allah Azzawajal says, it is a sacrifice in general, but it is a sacrifice in terms of slaughtering the camel. And this was the opinion of Ibn Abbas, Ata, Mujahid, Ikrima, Al-Hassan, Qatada, Dahak, uh, and many others, many others from amongst the scholars of Tafsir. The scholars asked then why does Allah mention the sacrifice of a camel? The sacrifice is general. It refers to any type of sacrifice, sheep, goats, cows. Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refer to the sacrifice of the camel? Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala and others mention for two reasons. Number one, because the camel was the most wealthy, right? the most expensive from amongst the animals that the Arabs used to have. And that is why when the Prophet ﷺ went to his farewell hajj, how many camels did he sacrifice? A hundred. Right? He sacrificed a hundred camels in his farewell hajj. Sixty-three by his own hand. وسلم, and then the remainder, he asked Ali to sacrifice for him. Right? And so that's why, Allah, that's why some of the scholars said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows that a sacrifice should be from the most wealthiest or from the, the best of wealth that you can afford. And that is the most beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As Allah Azza wa mentions in Surah Ali Imran, 
لن تنالوا البر حتى تنفقوا مما تحبون you will never attain piety until you spend from that which you love so when the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam came to his farewell hajj he chose to sacrifice the camel and he took a hundred of them 63 with his own hand and the remainder were done by ali radiyallahu anhu and therefore the second reason some of the scholars mention is to show that therefore that is the best type of sacrifice that if you were to grade as some of the scholars did even on hajj and eid you grade a sheep and a cow and a camel which of those is the best that you can sacrifice some of the scholars said based upon this verse that the best is a camel right that's the one and then a cow because that's the next most expensive one and then it would be the sheep and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best and that's because the Quraysh as we said they used to sacrifice for other than Allah azza wa jal Allah says in surah al-an'am verse 21 wala ta'kulu mimma lam yudhkar ismullah alayhi wa innahu lafisq and do not eat from that upon which Allah's name has not been mentioned for indeed it is sinful right because the Quraysh used to worship other than Allah meaning that they would prostrate to other than Allah and they would sacrifice and slaughter to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so Allah azza wa jal chose those two acts of worship so as we said the general um, strongest opinion amongst the scholars of tafsir is the salah is a general salah yeah. i mean Yeah, so the way that the camel is sacrificed and the sheep is that it's done in, in, in shares. So a sheep and a goat is one per person. Whereas the goat, the camel and the cow is done six shares. Is it seven shares? Seven shares for the cow and the camel. Yeah. So even on Hajj, that's how it would be done. So you would have seven people. And they come together and they say that we, you know, and we've done this on Hajj. Like where seven of us get together and we say, you know, we're doing a camel this year. Yeah. And you can actually go and watch this stuff, by the way, if you ever go on Hajj. Not that I would necessarily recommend it because it's extremely far out and you have like plenty of other stuff to be doing on that day uh, than, than watching. And, and, but they actually allow you to go and depending how you do this, you can choose your animal. Because we did this one year, myself, Sheikh Yasser Qadi, Sheikh Tawfiq, we, seven of us got together and we said we're going to sacrifice a camel. And, and we wanted to go and see because it's, you know, uh, just to, to revive that sunnah of the Prophet So you go and you choose the camel, right? You say, yeah, that one, <laughs> right? That's the one I want. Not that they all look the same. And then they take it and they, and they show you, and subhanAllah, it is amazing how you can imagine on Hajj when you have, what, two, three million Hajjaj, right? Every single one of them has to give more or less, every single one of them, or the vast majority of them anyway, are giving a sacrifice as part of their rights of hajj and then you have people who are doing extras because they've made a mistake and they have to give a fidya so they're giving expiations then other people just want to give extra because they just want to give extra anyway and literally you have like millions of and they have to do it literally within 10 11 12 13 right three four days they have to get that done and it is amazing how quickly they are able to do this like it is a skill and to slaughter a camel is different to slaughtering a sheep Right, because obviously the sheep's relatively small and easy to handle. The camel's like, no, come and do it with myself. It's like, yeah, you run over there, I'll run over there. No, it is a skill. It's not something which you could. I don't really think it's something which you could do uh, simply by watching and something. It is, it is something different. But anyway. Yeah. So there is. A, oh, in, in terms of the shares. Yeah, so the seven can be seven families. So if it's, for example, Eid, then yeah, you can, you, it can be like seven families. And Hajj, obviously, because it's seven people, right? Because every person has to give a sacrifice. And Eid, though, it's not one sacrifice per person, it's one sacrifice per family. Right? So that's where you have, that's why there's Is that the difference. Yeah, yeah, as far as I know.
Tycker vi ser. Any other questions about camels? Carry on with tafsir. So, uh, so as we said, so the majority opinion was that the salah refers to any salah, right? Worship Allah, and the sacrifice refers to any type of sacrifice, meaning any animal that is being sacrificed from for the sake of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. And normally, when we speak about sacrifice in that regard, it refers to sheep, goats, camels, cows, right? It's not talking about you know, pigeons and chickens and so on. Even though it's halal to eat rabbits and other ducks and whatever else, but it's not, it's not what is being primarily referred to because that's not the type of slaughtering you do on Eid and Hajj, right? And that's what it's referring to. However, there is a difference of opinion. Um, you will find statements from amongst the scholars. And as we said, some of them are by example. So they're just giving an example of a salah. And that's what Imam Al-Tabri ibn Kathir, Rahimahullah and others said, that we take the generic principle, they're just giving an example of a type of salah. But it's not the specific salah that is being referred to in, in the verse. So for example, Qatada, Ata, Ikrima, Rahimahumullah, they said that the salah being referred to is Salatul Eid. That's, sorry? Is it because of the second salah? Yeah. They said it refers to Salatul Eid and the sacrifice is the slaughter of Hajj. Is a slaughter of Hajj or the slaughter of Eid, and that's because they take it from uh, number one because that's what the Prophet did when he sacrificed a hundred. That's like you know Eid time. It's like Eid al-Adha when he's doing that. And others said that this verse was actually revealed towards that time. It was revealed towards the end of the life of the Prophet after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. They say that it was revealed, and that's why the Prophet did this, and Allah knows best. And then you will find, for example, Mujahid rahimahullah said that the salah is being referred to is a obligatory salah, not just any salah, an obligatory salah. And in specifically, he, he has a narration that says it is the Fajr prayer in Muzdalifa. The Fajr prayer in Muzdalifa. When is the Fajr prayer in Muzdalifa? Those of you that have done Hajj, hint, hint. When is the Fajr prayer in Muzdalifa? Not the time, man. Not the time. Which day? <laughs> I don't want to know the timing. Which day of Hajj? Give me a day, man. Don't give me the day before the stoning, the day after the stoning. You stone like on five different days, four different. On the tenth, on the morning of the tenth. So on ninth in Arafah, the evening you go to Muzdalifa. So when do you pray Fajr in Muzdalifa? The morning of the tenth, which is which day? The 10th of the Hijjah is which day? Eid for everyone else. Right? And it's the day in which the Hujjaj will offer their sacrifices. Right? On the day of Hajj. So whilst everyone else is chilling on Eid, on Hajj, that's the hardest day. Right? That's the day you have to shave your head and stone and sacrifice. Then go make Tawaf and Sa'i. Right? So there's no Eid for people who make Hajj. Right? Their Eid is in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, he said, therefore, and again, it fits into that narrative of the Hajj and the Eid and so on. He said that it is the Fajr Salah in Muzdalifa. Ata, rahimahullah, as we said, said it is the Eid prayer. Ikrima, rahimahullah, also has another opinion. And that means, and he said the Salah refers to being grateful to Allah. Allah said, we have given you Al-Kawthar. Fasalli Rabbik doesn't mean pray to your Lord. It means show gratitude to your Lord. Be thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And that is a tafsir by meaning. Not linguistic. No, not necessarily linguistic. I think what, what it's referring to is the principle. That when Allah azza wa jal, as we said, the meaning of these verses is that the more that Allah gives you, the more you should come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. With Allah's blessings, your, your, your worship and your gratitude to Allah should increase. And you should use the blessings that Allah bestowed upon you, the skills that Allah has given to you, the favors that you have, to use them in a way that is, it is uh, bringing you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And the Prophet told us وسلم, that Allah loves to see the effects of his blessings upon his slaves. When Allah blesses someone with something, Allah loves to see its effects upon them. Right? He wants to see that you're using those blessings. And the greatest way to use those blessings is in a way that is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
So therefore, the salah thing is actually the easier one. فَصَلِّ The salah equation is actually the easier one out of the two because salah is salah, whether you specify to, you know, the fajr prayer, muzdalifa, or it just means gratitude, whatever, it is still, um, you know, salah. However, when har, when it comes to sacrifice, you will, we will see that there is more of a difference of opinion. So you have nahar, as we said, which is sacrifice, right? And we said that's the opinion of Ibn Kathir, Al-Tabari, and others from amongst the, the muhakkiqin and the scholars of tafsir that they chose. However, it's not the only opinion. The other opinion is that it means to place your right hand upon your left under your nahar. What is nahar linguistically? The first, huh? Belly button? No, man. Nahar is referring to this. It's referring to your neck. And this is, um, this is the opinion of, well, it is reported, uh, attributed to Ali, radiallahu that this is what he said. And others said it refers to raising your hands at the beginning of salah. One har means to raise your hands when you begin your salah. And others said, no, anhar means face the qibla with your body. Right? That's what it means. It means face the qibla with your body. And basically, most of this is based upon, or some of this anyway, is based upon a hadith which is extremely weak. Um, and this is where the statement of Ali radiallahu anhu comes in. That he says that when these, this verse was revealed to the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, O Jibreel, what is this Nuhayra, uh, what is this Nahar that Allah has referred or, or commanded me to, to do or to have? The Prophet, uh, or he said, Nuhayra, which means a small river. What is this small river that Allah has commanded me with? Jibreel said, It is not a river, but rather it is that when you start your salah, you raise your hands when you make the takbir and when you make ruku' and when you come out of ruku' and when you make sajda, for that is the way that we pray in the heavens. That is the way we pray in the heavens. And this is collected by Al-Imam Ibn Abi Hatim in his tafsir, Al-Hakim in his mustadrak and so on. And it is extremely weak. It is an extremely weak relation. But based upon that, you have in the books of tafsir, you know, this opinion that this is, this is what one har means. It means to either raising your hands or putting your hands on your chest and so on and so forth. Ata' rahimahullah ta'ala has a similar statement in which he said that one har means to stand up straight after ruku'. To stand up straight after ruku'. And others have reported that Ata' rahimahullah used to say that one har means to sit calmly between the two sajdas, to sit up straight and to sit calmly between the two sajdas. Sulaiman al-Tamimi said that it means to raise your hands in dua. To raise your hands up towards your neck in dua. However, Ibn Atiyah, rahimahullah, the scholar of tafsir, he said that no doubt the meaning of nahar here is sacrifice and slaughter. And that is the opinion of the vast majority of the scholars. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, after he mentioned all of these different opinions, he said all of these opinions are strange, meaning that they you know, don't seem to be authentic. All of them are strange, and the strongest and the most correct is the first opinion. And that is that Nahar refers to slaughter and to sacrifice because the Prophet ﷺ would pray the Eid and then he would sacrifice and he would say whoever prays this prayer of ours, meaning the Eid prayer, and then he gives the slaughter, then indeed they have done their duty. And whoever slaughters uh, before the prayer, then there is no slaughter for them. Meaning that on Eid al-Adha, the slaughter has to, has to come after the Eid prayer. And then a companion by the name of Abu Barda Radiallahu said, O Messenger of Allah, I already slaughtered before the salah. I already slaughtered before the salah. And now I want to slaughter again. Is that allowed? The Prophet said, It is allowed for you, but not for anyone who will come after you. And this is in Sahih al Bukhari. And Imam al Tabri said, And this is the strongest opinion that the salah means to make your salah, all of it, sincerely for the sake of Allah, worship Allah alone. Don't associate anyone in worship with him. And when you sacrifice and slaughter, do it to Allah and not to any other idol or to anyone besides him. This is how you show gratitude to Allah for all of the abundance of good and all of the blessings and favors that he has bestowed upon you. Ibn Kathir rahimahullah said, commenting on the statement of Imam al-Tabari, and this, what he mentioned, is from the best of statements and it is a beautiful statement. Rahimahumullahu ajma'in. 
Sheikh Shanqiti, rahimahullah, Muhammad al-Amin, in his tafsir, he said that when Allah Azza wa says to him, فَصَلِّ لِرَبِّكَ وَنْحَرْ It means to pray the salah and to feed the poor from the sacrifice of the meat that you will give. For that is also from the good that Allah Azza wa has given to you. Meaning that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us blessings and then we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through those blessings and we thank him, that is also from the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So to, to have Allah's blessings is a blessing. To know how to show gratitude for those blessings is a blessing. Then to worship Allah in accordance to those blessings is a blessing. All of those are all blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So even our worship of Allah and our gratitude to Allah for his blessings are also from the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Allah Azza wa Jal says in the final verse, إِنَّ شَانِئَكَ هُوَ الْأَبْتَرِ Indeed, the one who is your enemy, the one who curses you, the one who belittles you, is the one who is cut off. This verse in this surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins by mentioning his abundance of blessings. And then he tells the Prophet what he should do. Now that you have all of these blessings, this is how you show gratitude, by worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Allah azza wa jal concludes the surah by mentioning this verse in which he is speaking about an incident or an event that seems to have taken place in the life of the Prophet And Allah delays the mention of that. That's the last thing. Meaning that if you have Allah's blessings and you're worshipping Allah, then it doesn't matter what people say or what they think or what they do. None of that is important because you have concentrated and you have focused yourself on what is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is what the Prophet would always, if you look throughout the Quran, he is always being commanded to do this. Uh, he is always commanded to do this. So whether it's the Quraysh calling him names, or whether it's them fighting him, or whether it's the Prophet feeling grieved and sorrowed because the people aren't accepting his religion, you will find often in most cases in the Quran when these verses are mentioned, Allah always follows it up by telling the Prophet to worship Allah even more, to make sajda. To worship Allah. Worship your Lord until death comes to you, certainty comes to you. Make sajda, pray more, turn to Allah more. This is how Allah always tells the Prophet to overcome the hardest trials that he faces in life. And therein is a lesson for us, right? That's where the lesson is for us. Because we have all of these blessings that Allah has given to us, and then we use those blessings to come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And yes, there will be difficulties and hardships, and yes, there are enmities and problems and so on. But rather than focusing on that negativity, you focus on those issues, you spend all of your time, expend all of your energy dealing with the problems and dealing with the tests and the hardships, you should turn that energy to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you complain to Allah, and you make dua to Allah, and you turn to Allah, and you hope from Allah, and you fear Allah, and you make more dua to Allah, and everything you focus towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you look throughout the life of the Prophet this is then what he does. Because we have those narrations in which if the Prophet if something disturbed him, something grieved him, he would rush to the prayer. Or he would call out Bilal radiallahu anhu and say to make the adhan, let us seek contentment and solace in the prayer. So the Prophet is taking the verses of the Quran and he's applying them in his life. If there's an issue, he makes salah. And that's why that famous hadith where the Prophet is standing the whole night in prayer, his feet has blisters, and he's crying and so on. And people ask him, why do you do this, O Messenger of Allah, when Allah has forgiven you for everything? What does he say? Should I not be a thankful slave to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And that understanding is amazing. It is an amazing understanding of the concept of worship. To be able to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not because it is only a burden or a responsibility or an obligation, but to take it to a higher level where ibadah is an enjoyment. Ibadah is something that you do because you want that connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That you know that your sweetest moments in this dunya, your best time in this life is the time that you spend with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in worship of Allah azza wa Be that salah, be that hajj, be that fasting, whatever it may be. And if you look throughout the life of the Prophet it is literally going from one act of worship to another act of worship. That's all he is doing. He is moving from one ibadah to another ibadah. Even when he's at home, 
with his family, with his children, with his grandchildren, with people. Here it is still an act of worship in the way in which the Prophet ﷺ conducts himself. And that is an amazing understanding of ibadah and it is an amazing concept to be able to understand. So if you have turned to Allah and you're worshipping Allah and you're focused on Allah, then those people who are your enemies, those people who oppose you, will be the ones who will be cut off. They are not even worthy of mention. And the Prophet doesn't even specify, even though as we will see now, that some of the scholars of Tafsir, they specified who it was that this verse is referring to. Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala said that indeed those who hate you, meaning the Prophet and they hate what you brought from guidance and the truth and the Quran, they are the ones who are humiliated and they are the ones who will be cut off and they are the ones who are not worthy of mention. And abtar in the, in the Arabic language linguistically means to be cut off, to be humiliated, to have no further mention, to not be spoken of again. Right? And if you juxtapose this with the verse in Surah Al-Sharh in which Allah Azza wa says, وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ We have raised your mention, meaning the Prophet Here Allah Azza wa is referring to those people who thought that the Prophet was just going to be a, you know, like a phase. Right, the Quraysh, he's come, he's going to be here for a few years, he'll go, and no one will ever think about him again. No one will care, no one will ask about him, no one will know his name, he will be lost to history. But Allah says, no, we have raised your mention. So the scholars of, of Arabic language, they say that in the Arabic language, a person who doesn't have a child, who is childless, is known as abtar. Abtar. Right? And it is, I think, a derogatory term. Abtar means a person who doesn't have any children. Why? Because they are cut off, meaning that their lineage will be cut off, right? That they don't have any, any children after them. And likewise, in an animal whose tail is cut off is also called abtar, right? That's just from a linguistic point of view in the Arabic language. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, and others said that the verse is general. It refers to anyone who showed enmity to the Prophet ﷺ, opposed the Prophet ﷺ, and it refers to all of those people who tried to belittle the Prophet ﷺ, to humiliate the Prophet ﷺ, to oppose him and oppose his message and oppose his religion. It refers to all of them. However, it is said that there are certain, you know, certain like people that it is referring to uh, in some of the, the books of Tafsir. They say that it's referring to certain people. Ibn Abbas, Mujahid, Sa'id ibn Jubair, Qatada, Rahimahumullah, Radiallahu Anhuma, they said that it refers to Al As ibn Wail. Al As ibn Wail is from the chieftains and the noblemen of Quraysh. And it is mentioned in some narrations that Al As ibn Wail, if the Prophet وسلم, was to be mentioned in his presence, his name was taken, he would say to them, Leave him alone, meaning forget him. فَإِنَّهُ رَجْلٌ أَبْتَرْ لَا عَقِبَ لَهُ For he is a man who is abtar, meaning that he doesn't have any male children. He will have no children who will follow him. فَإِذَا هَلَكَ إِنْقَطَعَ ذِكْرُهُ And when he dies, his mention will also be cut off. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this, uh, this, uh, this surah. And that's because the Prophet وسلم, as we know, had a number of children, right? He has a number of daughters, and then he has a number of sons. In the time of Mecca, he has two sons, right? The third one will come later on in Medina. The two sons that he has in Mecca, their names are Al-Qasim and, and Abdullah. Right? Ibrahim would come later on in the time of the Prophet But this is a Mecca, like a Meccan, you know, uh, event that's taking place. So the Prophet ﷺ lost both sons. Al-Qasim passed away, and then Abdullah passed away. And so Al-As ibn Wa'il used to say concerning the Prophet ﷺ, he is Abtar, meaning he won't have any male children to carry on his name, right? Because you know the name, the lineage is taken from the male line. He is therefore cut off. Others said that no, it was referred to Shamr ibn Atiyah, who was one of the scholars of, of the past, one of the scholars of hadith, he said, that it was, refer, it was referring to Uqba ibn Abi Mu'ith. Uqba ibn Abi Mu'ith was also from the chieftains of Quraysh, from the noblemen of Quraysh. And another opinion of Ibn Abbas and Ikrimah is that it was referring to Ka'ab ibn al-Ashraf. 
and a group from amongst the kuffar of Quraysh. And this is mentioned in a, a narration that is collected by Al-Bazzar on the authority of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah. He says that Ka'ab ibn al-Ashraf came to Mecca. So the Quraysh said to him, you are the leader of your people. And do you not see this man who is abtar, who is cut off, meaning doesn't have any male children that survive him. He claims that he is better than us. And we are the people of the Hujjaj, the people of the pilgrims. And we are the ones who look after the Kaaba. And we are the ones who water the pilgrim. So he said to them, yes, you are better than him. Right? You are better than him. So then Allah revealed the verse, inna shani'aka huwa al-abtar. So three, three opinions so far. Al-As ibn Wa'il, Uqba ibn Abi Mu'eet, Ka'ab ibn al-Ashraf. The fourth opinion, Ata' rahimahullah said, it was concerning Abu Lahab. Abu Lahab. Because when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam lost his second son, Abu Lahab said to the, to the kuffar of Quraysh, he said, last night Muhammad was cut off. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Allah azza wa revealed this verse. The fifth opinion, Ibn Abbas said, that it refers to Abu Jahl. That it refers to Abu Jahl. And others, as we said, they said that it refers to all of them. Right? So it's not specific to one person or another. It refers to all of them because all of them fall into this, um, you know, into this meaning of this verse. And that is that these people were enemies of the Prophet One of the amazing things that you find in the Quran is that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is being attacked, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always comes to his defense in the Qur'an. So when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is being ridiculed, or when he's being spoken badly of, or he's being, you know, they're trying to humiliate him, or they're calling him all of these names and giving him these titles, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always comes to his rescue. One thing which I find amazing about this is that it would be extremely difficult. You know, if someone's going around calling us names and trying to degrade us and humiliate us. In the way that the Prophet was being called crazy and you know, a magician and, and a poet and all of those different names. It's hard enough to hear from your enemies, right? You're walking down the street and people call you. Just like today, if you were to walk down the street and someone says something which is Islamophobic or racist or whatever it may be, it is difficult to hear. Even though that person may make the statement and walk on, right? It's a statement that they make and they walk on, but it's extremely difficult to hear. But now the Prophet is given verses in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relays the statements of the Quraysh. So now it's not just the Kuffar or the Quraysh that are saying this stuff. It is now the Prophet saying it himself because it is mentioned in verses of the Quran that he is reciting. And it is the companions saying the same thing, even though they're not saying it in the same way, but they're mentioning, they're relaying the statements of what's being said about the Prophet because it's mentioned in verses of the Quran, right? They say that he is a poet and he is crazy, right? It is not the saying of a fortune teller. These are not the words of a poet. And over and over again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to them in multiple verses. This is what the Quraysh are saying about you. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always tells him what to do at the end, right? How to overcome this. And one of the things which I think is an important lesson to take from this is how the Prophet sallallahu despite hearing this, and then despite having to read it himself and having to, having to listen to it from the companions reciting these verses of the Quran, the Prophet sallallahu never focused on this, never focused on the negative aspect of this. But he takes the verses of the Quran in the way that Allah reveals them, which is to show him the solution, to show him how to overcome this. Because one of the most difficult things to bear as a practicing Muslim is the verbal attacks that people give, right? When they call you backward, or they call your religion backward, or they call your practices backward, or they criticize this aspect or that aspect, it's not necessarily that they intend physical harm to you, but normally the verbal harm or the verbal you know, words that are, that are said 
are often as harmful and as painful as sometimes physical attacks. But the Prophet ﷺ is constantly throughout this surah being told, don't focus on the negative aspect. Don't focus on people like Abu Jahl, people like Abu Lahab, people like Uqba and Al-As ibn Wa'il. They are the ones that Allah cut off their mention. They are the ones that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala humiliated. They are the ones that Allah Azza wa Jal, you know, never again would their name be mentioned in a praiseworthy way, even though some from amongst them, like Abu Lahab, before Islam were people who were honored and people who were considered to be wealthy and noble and people that others would respect and look up to. And Abu Jahl, who before the Prophet came, was known as Abu Al-Hakam, right, the father of wisdom because people would defer to his knowledge and his wisdom and his experience. But when Islam came and they became enemies of the Prophet wasallam, Allah cut off their mention. Despite their wealth, despite, you know, even if you look through the Quran, people like Pharaoh. Pharaoh is never mentioned by name. We don't have his name in the Quran. Right? We don't know his name, we're just given his title. It's as if it's not even important enough to be mentioned. And that's why, you know, today, people still differ as to which pharaoh he was, right? Which one of the pharaohs is exactly the pharaoh that Allah Azza wa is referring to in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't mention the name. And he doesn't mention him by name because he's not worthy of that mention. And when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does mention them by name, others like Abu Lahab, as we mentioned in Surah Lahab, it is in a way that is belittling. To show them that these are the people that Allah Azza wa has humiliated. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises the mention of others and he mentions them and he raises their honor and their status. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Prophet wasallam that who lasts and whose name lasts and whose mention lasts, that is something which is determined by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not determined by anyone else. And that is why from the things that we work towards is to have a good reputation, right? That's part of Islam, to have a good name and a good reputation and a good mention. Because the Prophet told us that after a person passes away, what people say about that person is something which is recorded by the angels. Right? So you have the hadith where the Prophet is sitting and a janazah is carried by and the people praise him, praise the, the person that's passed away. And the Prophet says, wajabat, it is obligatory. And then after a while, another funeral procession is passed by and the people start to criticize that person. Don't speak highly of him. And the Prophet says, Wajabat, it is obligatory. He said, O Messenger of Allah, what is obligatory? You said it both times. What does that mean? He said, You are the witnesses of Allah upon this earth. And when you speak at this time about that person, then it is recorded. And that is why it is the Sunnah that when a person passes away, that you only mention the good concerning them. Not the time to speak about their faults, even if they have them. Not the time to, to speak about those things. And when that happens, because people have felt genuinely aggrieved, they feel they felt oppressed, they felt that they've been hard done by by that person who's passed away, and they can't stop themselves because they feel that oppression and that anger and that grief, it is something which is recorded. And that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse he's saying, Inna shani'aka huwal abtar. The one who opposes the Prophet is the one who will be cut off. He's the one that Allah Azza wa will cut off their mention. Whereas those who turn to Allah Azza wa and worship Allah and pray to Allah and sacrifice to Allah and revolve their lives around Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are the ones that Allah Azza wa will mention and raise their mention. لَكَ As Allah says to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Al-Imam al-Mawardi rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, Al-Abtar, can have five meanings, can have five meanings. The first of them, as Qatada said, is that that person will be humiliated. That person is humiliated. Number two, Ikrima rahimahullah said that Al-Abtar is the one who will be lonely, the one who will be lonely. Because even if in this life that person has people around them, people who support them, people who pump them up, when they meet Allah, they will be alone and in their grave they will be alone. And they will feel that loneliness in their grave. Whereas the Prophet ﷺ told us that for the believer, when the angels come to question the believer in their grave, they will come from one side and they will find a person's salah. And from another side, a person's sadaqah and zakah. And from another side, a person's fasting. And from the head, all of the other good deeds that that person did. 
So every time the angel tries to draw close, and the Prophet ﷺ told us that those angels are terrifying. The way that they look, their appearance, their demeanor will cast terror into the heart of the person. But as they try to draw close to the believer, they're surrounded. So even in that grave, when they are alone, in the physical sense, they are not alone because they, their deeds surround them. Their deeds give them peace and contentment. Their deeds are there to give them that solace that they need. Whereas the disbeliever, even if they have people in this life, when it matters, they will be considered to be completely alone. The third way that a person is abtar, al-imam al-mawardi rahimahullah said, is that that person will not be mentioned in any good way. After their passing, they will have no mention of being good. And number four, how the Prophet sallallahu even though he doesn't have any male children, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised the rank of his family. That even today, even though the Prophet doesn't have any male children, that his line comes through. All comes through the female children, right? Fatima radiallahu anha, al-Hassan, Hussein, and so on. But to ascribe yourself or to be from that lineage is from the greatest of honors. So the very thing that they would criticize the Prophet concerning, that he doesn't have male children, to be from even from his female line, to be from the descendants of Al-Hassan, Al-Hussein, and Fatima, and so on, is from the greatest honors that a person can have. Right? It is something which in our religion we respect and we honor. Right? And I know that in, when I was a student in Medina University, some of our, our shayukh, some of our teachers, if they knew that someone was from the family of the Prophet because we had students that came and they were known, right? not just people who make the claim, because we have everyone, many people make the claim, but they have an actual established authentic you know, lineage that goes back to the Prophet they would honor them. Right? Not honor them in the sense that you, know, you get free grades and stuff like that. No. But you honor them as in you respect them because of who they come from and that line, and because it is from the respect that we give to the Prophet To the extent that sometimes, you know, if, you, if, if one of the teachers was going to give us a, a lift from the university to the Haram, right, to the, the Masjid al-Nabawi, and there are two or three of us, and from them was one of the brothers from the family of the Prophet the teacher, the Shaykh would say, let him sit at the front. He should sit at the front, just out of honoring him. Right? And, so, and, and just small things like this, but it is because of the love that we have for the Prophet And fifthly, he said, as Iqrima and others said, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mention is not, uh, the mention of the Prophet is not just restricted to his family, but rather Allah Azza wa made the mention of the Prophet generic, right? comprehensive, encompasses so many things. So that now when we refer to the Prophet it is not just an issue of referring to his family or his children or his lineage, we refer to him in everything. And so the mention of the Prophet is far greater than just the restricted family line. Right? To speak about him just in terms of his family and his ancestors or his lineage and so on, it is something far greater. And likewise for the believer, it is not necessarily that a person is praised because of their family or their parents, or who their ancestors were, but it is something greater because of their actions and their deeds and the good that they did and the knowledge that they left behind and the benefit that they gave to others, it is something which becomes far greater. And that's what Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, and we'll, we'll, we'll end with this, Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala said, the Quraysh, they thought that they would be able to cut off the mention of the Prophet that they would be able to belittle him to such an extent that he would never be mentioned again. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had a different plan to the extent that today in this world, in our time, the Prophet sallallahu name is referred to and mentioned and said over and over again and repeated many times. And on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, when it will be the day that everyone will be gathered, if there is one person who will be given the honor of being mentioned and being given the honor of being spoken to, it will be our Prophet sallallahu because of the hadith of the great intercession when no one will want to intercede before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam will come and he will prostrate before Allah and he will praise him as long as Allah wishes to be praised for. And then Allah will call him by name and he will say, O Muhammad, raise your head. Ask, you will be given. Seek and your request will be granted. Intercede and your intercession will be accepted. And that is something which will be only specific for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam so his mention will not just be limited to this life, but that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will honor him and honor his name on Yawm Al-Qiyamah as well. And with that, we come to the end of 
the tafsir of Surah Al-Kawthar. Do we have any questions? I didn't even look. Okay. So alhamdulillah, we, we don't have any questions. We're going to stop now because it's time for Salat Al-Isha. If there are any questions, whether from anyone online or here, inshallah, next week, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with them. Next week, we're starting the class at 8.40. So for those of you online, 8.40, inshallah, Salat Al-Maghrib in the masjid will be around 10 past 8. بإذن الله تعالى بارك الله فيكم وصلى على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته